One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Humorology Podcast with me, Paul Barros, and my glittering lineup of guests from the worlds of business, sport, and entertainment who are going to share their wisdom and their use of humor. Humorology is the study of how humor can dramatically improve your business success in your life. Humorology puts the fun into business fundamentals, increases the value of your laughing stock, and puts a punchline back into your bottom line. Please remember to like, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, I'm Marcus Brigstock, and very soon I'll be appearing with Paul Barros on the Humorology podcast. You should listen to it. Have you had any very memorable heckles? Oh, yeah. Yeah, but mine now exist in a certain context. So I, um, I've been a member of CND since I was about 15. I've never really grown out of it. I, I sort of had a look and thought, I'm not sure that weapons that can kill that many people at once can ever be used with any precision or justification. So I thought I'll be a member of CND. And CND asked me to go on the pyramid stage at Glastonbury to talk about the campaign for nuclear disarmament. And it was around about the time Barack Obama was taking office and he was the first president to talk about reducing America's nuclear stockpile. And I said, yeah, fine. Anyway, unbeknownst to me, they put an act on just before I went on stage and it was a hip hop outfit called NERD for L. Williams group. And NERD overran. And you can't overrun at Glastonbury because they've, you know, you've got the Rolling Stones waiting to come on. So they cut their mics and pulled them off stage. And the audience went mental. 60,000 people booing and chanting, N-E-R-D, N-E-R-D, like this. And the stage manager went, there you go, mate, your mic's live. <laughs> and I walked to the front of the stage in front of all these people and went, hello, I'm Marcus Brigstock. You may have seen me or heard me on Radio 4. And I want to talk about the campaign for nuclear disarmament. At which point, in one voice... 60,000 people screamed, fuck off! <laughs> uh, they were literally, one guy, I remember how he looked. He was sort of wiry, thin, looked like Iggy Pop. He was lifted by his friends in order that I could see how much he hated me. Uh, and so I talked for about five or ten minutes about CND and shuffled off. It wasn't a gig, you know. I wasn't really trying to be funny on that occasion. But since then... All heckles have existed in the context of, mate, I've been booed off by 60,000 people. I mean, this is your, your, uh, tell us a joke, uh, your mum, 
it doesn't, you know, doesn't amount to much. Hi, I'm Dave Johns, and I'm a guest on Paul Barossa's Humorology podcast. What would the world be like without humour? I think it would be an absolutely diabolical, horrible, miserable place. I think if human beings didn't have humour, I don't think we'd be able to survive. I think humour is part and parcel of surviving. And I think, you, like, you know, you always hear, oh, that person doesn't have a sense of humour, you know? To, 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 to not have humour, it's a, it's a really bad affliction. To not see the funny side of life, to not... See, that's, that's how my brain is, is wired up. I see, I, I see it all the time, you know? It's like when I was over in... Uh, when Daniel Blake won the um, um, the BAFTA, we went to the party afterwards, and uh, we were at the party, and I was just getting a, a, a thing at the door at the at the bar, and I saw Meryl Streep coming towards the bar, and I thought that's Meryl Streep, so I just went, Meryl, it's all free, <laughs> <laughs> and she pissed us. I was laughing. She went, is it? I went, yeah. <laughs> You know, and that was just something off the top of my head. But that, but I was thinking, shit, that's me the street. You know what I mean? Hi, everyone. This is Spike Edney. So do you think that, I mean, having been in bands myself, do you think that if it's not there, you can't stay for that long? For instance, you've been with Queen, I think, since, is it 1985 or something 84. like that? August 1984. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, there must be something about adapting and getting rapport and having a sense of humour that makes them want to be around you for that many years. Well, let's hope so. Um, I, there are some bands who kind of thrive on tension and uh, discord. And some of those bands actually do last uh, as long as they take long holidays from each other. And I think that that is the key to any successful big band is that uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder as well. So then when, then when you're together, you can have energy and, you, and fun has got to be a big part of it. Otherwise, life is miserable. I, I mean, I, I've been in situations on tour where a band is getting near the end of its life and everybody's just miserable and everybody else's co uh, company and the smallest thing can it can be irksome but that's the same in any group of people where um, somebody's uh slightly annoying habit becomes a, a major problem for another member of the band so holidays are good and having funny people around and in the band to ease the tension is definitely good hi i'm scott Quinnell. Do you find yourself funny? Uh, my, 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 my children and my wife say yes, because I say something and I laugh. Or even worse, I will laugh and then say something. So I've got to be honest with you, if I did a gig and there was 30 of me in the audience, I'd be happy. I think I think I think I think I'd be all right. I think I'd be all right. Well the, well, the funny thing is, I think that's the perfect answer because, as a psychologist, what I would say is that part of a comedian's job is 
to actually, or anybody who wants to be funny, wants to be liked, wants to uh, have people laugh with them, is that they have to go into that state first. And that yeah. state transfers over to other people. Because, you know, I've always said that you're infectious, haven't I? Um, well, I, and I've given you tablets for it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, when you talk about that, right, um, I, I think I'm more likely to laugh at myself. I, 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 I like, I, you know, a lot of people uh, sort of, they're, they're perfectionists and they, they want to do everything right. But I'm, I'm kind of the opposite because I don't mind making mistakes because a lot of the time it's quite funny. So I'm in the mindset of, because I struggled, because I, I we'll go back, because I, I was dyslexic and struggled to read and write and everything. I suppose that's my coping strategy. So where you know you you either fought or you became funny. Now I'm not that funny, and I'm a bloody good fighter. So <laughs> you, know, you 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 choose. <laughs> I think I'd rather laugh with you than fight you. <laughs> To be honest yeah, with you. I think it's important to be able to laugh at yourself. Uh, if you can't laugh at yourself, then you can't take the mickey out of other people. If, you, if you're in a room of people and you take something personally that they say, then it, it's, it's all wrong. You know, you, you've got to be able to laugh at yourself before you expect other people to laugh at you. Hello, I'm Robin Ince and I joined Paul Barros on the Humorology podcast. I have an obsession with meetings people there are people who just you know what if you want to all that time remove one meeting a day because you don't need the five meetings you got to remove that one meeting you know what just watch an episode of Man Down watch some Laurel and Hardy together watch something in a room together where you all find what you laugh at and just and that sense of bringing people together through laughter not through the division of where are they and that that I think would be an amazing thing I mean there's two you know I have a rule which is I don't do three meetings if nothing's happened after the first two meetings so when we're working on projects if someone says can we have another meeting i go well nothing's happened after the first two when something's happened from the first two then we need another meeting but we don't need another meeting so that's what i would say is remove at least one meeting and then uh every week or even every day different person in the office brings in the thing that they find funniest that they delight in uh or you watch it on netflix or whatever and you just laugh in a room that's right. And it's the ultimate bonding thing, isn't it? It brings people together. So actually, and especially that I think most companies on some level have to be creative. Yeah. So surely you have in order to be creative, you have to allow the brain to go to different places rather than be siloed. Well, as we know, you know, the best ideas never come up when you're staring at the screen trying to write the joke. They come up when you walk out, when you go for, you know, you go for a coffee, whatever. And I think that point of saying there, because I think we've become so hooked on believing we're being productive. And that's one of the reasons that we have this meetings obsession is because a meeting means you've done something today, but you haven't done anything. You've had a meeting. That's not the same. I mean, I'm obsessed by that. That's why I run one of the things that I do with my mate Trent. We make about four programs a week and we make documentaries and all that. And we just make them. Uh, we don't make them particularly for profit or anything like that. We just make them because we're addicted to making things. We want to create things. And I think that is a really important part of it as well. That in fact, there is something more creative about having 
having all sat in a room and laughed at something, you know, whether it's rude and strange or Laurel and Hardy, whatever it is, there's something far more creative that means that, that when you leave that room, like, you know, when, when during homeschooling with my son, you know, at, at lunchtime we might watch something like an episode of Friday Night Dinner. And we love it and we laugh. And then he goes back to work and I go back to work. But something has happened which has shaken the day which is just, you know, it's moved. It, it feels like we've got more neural connections, positive neural connections available to us now because we've just watched something wonderful and absurd. My name's Renny Carriol. In my younger days, when you're trying to climb up that greasy pole, I was a bit too intense, a bit too serious, never relaxing. Every day you're on show, every, every day you're on stage, and it wears you out. It just wears you out. And the prize you're aiming for is, doesn't feel that glittering when you get there. When you've worked 15, 16 hour days, you haven't smiled, you're a bit too intense. So I realized that you've got to break that up. Do a job that you love, you never work a day in your life. Smile and enjoy. The mastery of emotional intelligence. The ability to be the butt of jokes for others, especially those who work for you, lightens the atmosphere, enables them to get to know you, trust you. And you know what happens when people trust you? They go the extra mile. I'm Dave McCourt. Is the bottom line the only thing that's important or is contributing to the community and everybody's well-being, you know, just as important? Is it is it OK to make. Would would is it OK to make a little bit less money for a while to have a better place to work? And then if everybody's working better together you you're going to make more money you're going to make a better return on your efforts regardless of whether you try or not it's just going to happen it's just going to happen instinctively but i you know i don't know if that has to be the first measurement all the time is whether or not you've made more money than the year before maybe the measurement is is everyone happy and is the community you're serving better off and are you making a fair profit maybe that's a better measurement and to, would you encourage CEOs around the world to actually look at it in a more holistic approach as as a re result of the way you've I mean, you you have been phenomenally successful. So people listening to this are going to be trying to get nuggets of like, you know, would Dave put um, uh, things into operation at times like post covid? or during COVID, that you couldn't see an automatic return of investment? Would, would you still be doing those things? Sure. Do those things all the time. Look, if you, if you, a, a, a businesses have, over the last 50 years, have evolved. I know this is not a business podcast, but this is the facts. Businesses have evolved to learn how to extract value as opposed to contribute value to the communities and make a profit. And that's a dangerous shift that they've made. Not all, but most businesses are more focused on extracting value than they are in contributing value to the communities they do business in. And consequently, people instinctively think business is bad, and that's bad for business. Because if your customers think you're bad, it's bad for business. So you have to spend all this money on a marketing campaign to get people to trust you. Well, if you did something that made you trustworthy, you wouldn't have to spend all that marketing money so you'd make more money. So it, it, businesses over the last 50 years have, have made a dangerous shift 
to be extract as a value instead of contributing to the communities in general. You know, if you take a, you know, a business that owns a, a hundred stores and a private equity shop buys that business, you know, in the old days, they take the bottom performing stores and they'd say, how do we get these stores to perform better? And they'd get the guys and men and women from the top and they'd send them down to the stores in the bottom and they'd say, how do we get this to perform better? Now they just cut off the bottom 10 stores, which makes their metrics better, which makes their average revenue per store better, which makes their average revenue per salesperson better, which makes their average revenue per employee better, which makes their stock price go up, which makes their stock shares goes up, which makes the executives more money. But they forget about the employees in the community at the bottom. And that's what that's why people are pissed off about business. And that's why capitalism has a bad name when it's better than any other form of sort of, of you know, it's better than, than, than it's, it's worked better than communism and socialism, but it has a bad name now because they've, they've overdone the profit thing instead of having a more balanced approach. Hello, my name is John Sweeney. I'll tell you a story about Scientology. With Scientology, I'm working with two wonderful um, BBC um, um, colleagues, Sarah Moll, my producer, and Bill Brown, Northern Irish cameraman. Uh, by the way, Northern Irish, BBC Northern Irish cameraman means tough as old boots, because, you know, they've really, 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 really been in the middle. And if it's a riot, you think, crikey, this is a riot, and I said, no. You should see the falls road. And then, okay, okay, okay. And so there, there is nothing that I can I can do that's worse than what uh, Bill's been through. Sarah's really funny. She's from Essex, and her plan is simple. We said, "Eh, John, you've seen Jurassic Park, haven't you?" I said, "Yes, I have." And she said, "Yeah, in it, there's this bit where they tether this goat, and then the T Rex comes and gets it." Well, John, Scientology, they're the T-Rex and you're the tethered goat. You can bleed, can't you? And that was the plan. And it worked beautifully. And all we had to do was carry uh, two cameras with us at all times, a little camera with batteries, which we could switch on instantly if Bill's big camera wasn't working for some reason. So everywhere we went, we had two cameras as a policy. Everywhere we went, I had two sound packs on me. So if one set of batteries went down, I had the other. It meant going to the loo a fucking nightmare because I had to, basically, I was like electricity, um, a small electricity substation had so many batteries in me. But it meant that never once were we screwed. We go into battle with the Church of Scientology. And... It was the funniest film I've ever made because they're so fucking nuts and also humorous about themselves. And what was strange was that we were dealing all this time with this guy, Tommy Davis, who, who I ended up screaming at and shouting at. And I had to apologize. It's wrong to lose your temper, but they drove me nuts. And I can remember saying to Sarah on the seventh day, I said, Sarah, I can't do this anymore. And she said, shut up, get on with your job. Anyway, um, in the middle of all of this, there's a point when I said to Mike Rinder, the other PR man for Scientology, could we, you know, can we interview your Pope, this guy called David Miscavige, another humorous bastard, in my view, they say that I'm a bigot, blah, blah, blah. And um, he goes, no, John. And I said, why not? Because you're an asshole. And uh, 
Sarah and I mean, we filmed we filmed everything, but we've got so much stuff we don't need to put everything in. And Sarah and Bill just stopped. <laughs> they put the cameras down and started laughing so much. And then, uh, and then Sarah started saying, "So the reason you won't give us an interview with your Pope is because John's an asshole." And uh, uh, my says, "Yes." I said, I can understand that's right. Yeah, you are an asshole, John. And, and she took the piss out of me, and Bill took the piss out of me. And there's a moment when I could see that Mike found this distressing because we were a good gang, and in a good gang, you can take the piss out of people. Yeah. And eventually, he after that film, he left the Sea Org, and three years later, he sat in a chair opposite me, having left the Church of Scientology, and said it was one of the moments was when Sarah and Bill started taking the piss out of me, that he thought he could never do that inside Scientology. So he actually saw the relevance of being able to put the joke on yourself. How important do you think that is to be able to laugh at yourself, essentially? It's, it's crucial for good well-being. Also, it makes life more fun. Hello, I'm Charlie Hansen. I'm a comedy producer. Tell me a funny story about something that's happened to you um, in the business. Probably the thing that I still, when I think about it, laugh is, and it's not really to do with the business, but I was working. It was when I was doing Cemetery Junction and it was the last day of filming. We were in Oxfordshire. That was a film I did with Ricky and Stephen. And there was a young cast. Um, it was all about their lives growing up in Reading. We were filming in Oxfordshire and we were in a hotel. And it wasn't, you know, we were going to have some kind of rap party eventually, but because it was the last day of filming in the country, we all got, we all drank in the hotel and I probably got, had one or two too many, went to my room, fell asleep, woke up in the middle of the night needing to go to the bathroom and and I ended up opening the door to the bathroom closing it and finding I was in the corridor of the hotel oh, no. completely naked <laughs> and I was mortified I mean, it wasn't funny at the time I can tell you I was absolutely horrified and I got in the lift went to the ground floor went to the the loo you know the the, the main loos on the ground floor near the bar dashing without making sure I could hear people at the reception so I knew there were people around went into the loo and all I could do was get paper towels <laughs> and I put one in front of me and one behind me and came out and then literally had to make a dash to the receptionist holding one paper towel behind one at the back and say I've locked myself out of my room and I mean, they, they just looked at me, they didn't need an explanation, they just gave me a pass key and I kind of ran back and apart from the receptionist and someone else, I think only two people saw me and thought, what the hell's going on there? It's about 12 years ago, but I still, every now and again, it, you know, when I'm in a new hotel, I kind of, I'm reminded. So now I kind of, um, if I'm in a, I like, you know, to get to sleep, I like it dark. So I tend to now put the light on in the bathroom and leave the door with a tiny crack so I know where the bathroom is. Hello, hello, hello. 
I'm Dilly Keen. I mean, the funniest thing that's ever happened was one of those moments you can't really explain it. It was, um, I was on stage and I had put on a tiny bit of weight and my rather skin tight dress sort of went <laughs> and split down the side. And um, I, I was, it was fascinating later and uh, uh, Marilyn Cutts was in the group then, and she came over to the piano. Luckily, it had split upstage as opposed to downstage, which meant the audience would see. I was seated at the piano. It was my left seam. And I said to Marilyn, I went, Marilyn, when my dress was split. And she went, yes. <laughs> my dress was split. She went, yes. I walked off stage. <laughs> so I had to get up. And luckily, I had a jacket. Hello, I'm Gareth Southgate, and I uh, just wanted to say that uh, please listen to Alistair McGowan on uh, Paul Barossi's Humorology podcast. One of the callbacks I started doing, I was going to say recently, it was back in whenever we could still do live gigs, so at least six months ago. Um, but I was doing this callback more or less for the first time, and I loved it. I had this idea, which I want, wanted to put in for a long time, about what people sound like they're going to say next, and how useful that is for an impression. So what you're going to say next, but don't say, if you like, um, reveals a lot about your character. And for me, impressions and, are about the human voice and the voice is about your character. It reveals something through your voice. Um, so for instance, the first one was that Cheryl Cole, or whatever she's going by nowadays, I think she's just Cheryl now. Sure. Uh, but Cheryl always sounds like the next thing she would say uh, after any given sentence would be, and that's why I had to kill him. <laughs> She just has this sort of very, very dark <laughs> attitude to life and to people. And so that, that was lovely when I say, and that's why I had to kill him. And then I do two or three more jokes because I tried it once, one after the other, and it didn't work. And then I say, uh, Richard Maidley always sounds like the next thing he'd say in any given sentence would be, I'm not rubbish and this program isn't shit. <laughs> and again, it's his attitude. There's a sort of defensiveness there. No, 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 I, this is worth listening to. I'm, I'm not rubbish in this program, isn't it? Um, so you don't hear him say that, but it sounds like what's defining him. But by separating them with a joke in between each one and then going back to it, uh, I, I won't give you the third one because it'll to, 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 you know, yeah. decrease the laugh if ever I do it again in front of anyone <laughs> who might be watching or listening. Um, but actually, the third one was Steve Bruce, who uh, was Newcastle manager, still is at the moment. And he always sounds like the next thing he's going to say is, well, I can't believe they've given us the job, to be honest with you. <laughs> but by separating those out, the callback with a slight variation each time really, really helps. And again, that's not telling jokes. That's not me saying, oh, here's a funny thing for you. You know, here's a funny joke for you. It's an observation. It's a bit of wit. Um, it's hard to recreate that. I mean, if every business person could do all that sort of stuff, they'd be doing stand-up comedy. But they are useful techniques. Well, I'm John LaValle. So... I mean, a lot of our audience and, and you work with, you know, big businesses all over the world and you advise them. And, and a lot of our audience um, are going to think, what can I take away from this? And I know you're a great man for ta giving takeaways and things. And how can anybody be slightly, not necessarily funnier, but slightly, you know, better at getting rapport, better at, at connecting through, by using humour. Uh, someone asked me one time, they said, to what do you contribute most of your success, both in business, getting deals you've gotten, contracts you've gotten, and in seminars? And you seem to take a lot of um, maybe unnecessary risks 
in, in doing things, but I also know you're somewhat successful. I said, well, I've learned very simply that I don't care. I just, I don't care. And I'm prepared to walk away and leave the deal on the table. So now that what that does is that gives people enough confidence that they're going to they're going to they're going to probably come back to get the deal. You know, if you've done a good job, rapport, rapport is easy enough. I'm not talking about the body matching things. You know, rapport stuff is easy enough. Um, people don't go in if if they go in with their PowerPoint and they're all ready to show their slides and everything. They should they should stop and go do something else. You know, uh, if they can't feed off the group and and everything else. Uh, when I've gone into business meetings, let's say I'm going to go in, let's say I'm going to go in with a group of executives, and I always make fun of them. By the way, I always make fun of the guys at top. Um, I, I always want to get in with, and, and some of them object to this, but I don't care. I said I don't care. Right? Is to get. I want to talk to their boss because that's ultimately where my contract comes from. Because if the guy the guy hiring me, right? If he doesn't like what I'm doing, he can say, you're out. But I can say, excuse me, this is what your boss wants. You didn't get the message. So I'm actually helping you out, you know. But I I've had that attitude where there's loads of business out there, you know, and I can choose who I want to work for, not work for, or work with, and everything else. And I think for people who have that, that confidence, I guess one might be part of that, that uh, they're free to feel and be funny. Hello, this is William Haig. Margaret Thatcher was not funny. You know, that, that was not her approach. She was, in my view, an extremely impressive, brilliant person in so many ways. And everybody, would, whatever their political views, would say she was a very major figure in history and an important leader. But she wasn't funny. She didn't um, react that very well to humor because she didn't really get it. And um, she would enjoy having an argument, she would enjoy having a discussion. Uh, but whereas many people, as we've just been discussing, would inject some humor into it to help it along, that just wasn't her approach at all. Um, so, you know, you can be successful without humor, but um, it does create a pretty serious atmosphere around you and you'd better have some other massive attributes uh, if you're going to do without it. But they did actually bring in um, writers for her when she did the big set pieces at the Conservative Party conference. And, and she somehow did manage to get laughs as well, didn't she, in, in set pieces? She did, but she didn't really, you know, she delivered the lines and, and, and uh, they explained, but there was one... Um, I can't quite remember the detail, but it was a it was a Monty Python allusion in one of her speeches, and you know, then apparently she said, "Well, this we must get this Monty Python into, you know, give us some more ideas." Uh, so she hadn't really understood what it was all about. So um, uh, you know, so yes, she could be persuaded to use some some humor, but she just wasn't a naturally humorous person, and. Um, Maybe so you can't have everything, uh, but um, she would have been an even more impressive. But she she would have um, got her way even more often, probably, 
if she'd also been able to carry people along with a bit of humour. Uh, well, yeah, I just got this image of her going, get me that Monty Python on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, this is Mark Bedford from Manis. That's very interesting, actually, that whole thing about the shared experience, because when I'm working with people I and I'm advising, you know, CEOs or whatever, I say it's much more important to listen because all good connection and humor from connection comes out of listening. Mm. And it's it's the understanding that really it's hard to do a gag. You can't go into a meeting or uh, and go, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this gag yeah. when I walk in the room. Yeah never really works does it you have to feel what's going on yeah absolutely you have to feel your way in and and one i think one interesting thing that you're touching on there about laughter and about humor is it's a real it really does balance up power and i think if you're in a position of power i think it's a very good skill to have is to listen and allow people who you know that maybe that either work for you or yeah or you're kind of maybe in more say a, a senior position of but it's to listen and let them laugh and let them make jokes because it really does balance things up and people again feel that there's a kinship more between one another i think it's quite an important point there i like the word kinship i think that's really the thing because i think that's what humor does is it drags people together and go oh from a psychological aspect, we like people like us. And automatically, if you share a sense of humour, you are automatically in the tribe, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it signals, as I said, it signals a, co a cooperation. You know, it signals that you're in agreement, you know, which is like very, very important. Yeah, amongst groups of people. I think that's what we do. And as I say, it's a almost a survival tactic, I think, in a way, you know. If, we're, if you're kind of brought into that group and you're joined together by humour, it's a fantastic, it starts to create a fantastic bond, I think, you know. I'm Georgie Hull. What I loved when you said earlier is that you laugh easily. Mm, and you, I do. you love to laugh. <laughs> yeah. and, and, but, but by the way, that is a very attractive trait to anybody listening out there. That is as important. I have a great friend who is witty, but is not as quick as the rest of us when we're doing gags. But we love him because he laughs so easily and he's a mm -hmm. joy to be around. I think if you can find someone who you want to laugh with, that is that is that is really important. And I, I have a few friends that I will always love to laugh with, and I look forward to seeing them because I know I'm going to laugh, and that I look forward to that that feeling and feel renewed and energised after it happens. Uh, sometimes exhausted as well because you'll see laughter can be tiring sometimes too. But yeah, but isn't that wonderful? You see it. Uh, I'm looking at your face. And you see, this is what happens. You just have to think about those people. Mm. And a smile plays across your face. Yeah, and it true. changes your whole mood. And that that's, you know, I think, you know, that's what business should do as well. We all spend so much time at work. Mm. But if you can bring some laughter into a, a workplace scenario, you're mm -hmm. doing everybody a favour. Yeah, because it's so good for you. You know, laughter, as we know, is you talked about it being the best medicine. But, you know, there's 
I mean, you'll know this better than anyone, but the science to show how good laughing is for you, it releases endorphins, it releases chemicals in the body that help relax you, it releases chemicals that are similar to the love chemical, you know, oxytocin, like all of those, all of those chemicals are released. So actually being quick to laugh and, and, and finding people that help you do that is going to make you feel better and feel good, whether it's conscious or I've done it consciously or unconsciously. I think I've sought out that good feeling um, when I've certainly particularly in, in di more difficult times, but it really is so good for you. <laughs> well, the, the, we should bottle it and sell we it. We should. If only if only, I mean, it's surprising that no one's been able to do that yet. I mean, they kind of have, but it's not legal. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm James Longman, the co-executive producer of The Late Late Show with James Corden. Well, talking of that, what would the world be like without humour? Well, I think um, a sadder, greyer place. Um, I was thinking about this, actually. It is, we had a really lovely thing, well, a couple of times really where people have said to me, um, what I do often, I think, is I make a lot of nonsense a lot of the stuff i've made uh on all the shows over the years have a thread of silliness of freedom and and nonsense and sometimes you i throw away human and go oh it's not a proper job i'm very lucky to do it but every now and again you'll meet someone and they'll go oh we're going through a really dark time and we saw that sketch you did and it really lifted us out of it and the idea that you know humor can help people which is when you do it day to day you forget about that and it's really lovely when someone says well, something really lovely to you about it. Um, you know, you you need humour kind of to lift you and move you along and to help you, and it can heal. Um, so I think a world without humour would be a much sadder place. Well, it's. I mean, as a psychologist, I can tell you that it's a state shifter. And so actually what you are doing is so when your children get a little bit older and they ask you what you do, what will you reply? I don't, I've the classic Brit about me where I'm always a little bit embarrassed about being proud of what I do, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is a very un-American thing, I think. But it's uh, I guess I'd say I make if when they're a little bit older, I say I make silly TV. I make TV that makes people laugh. Um, which is what I think my career has been really making TV that makes people laugh. But, but that's a that's a lovely thing, isn't it? I, I, my son is now nineteen, so he's gr grown up. And when uh, the, for the last few years, when his friends have asked, "What does your dad do?" Uh, my son says he talks bollocks for a living. <laughs> <laughs> Harsh, but true. To be honest yeah. with you, yeah. But you know what? You're you're at the the wonderful age where where daddy's a hero, and then, <laughs> you just yeah. wait, my friend. <laughs> I've got one of these, but really, it should go to Paul and the Humorology Podcast. The Humorology Podcast was hosted by Paul Barros and produced by Simon Banks. Music by Steve Hayworth creative direction by Les Hughes, and additional research by Helen Sykes. Please remember to subscribe, like, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Big Sky production. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.